Welcome to Take This Poem Podcast, where we explore the rich, wild things that good poems can do in the everyday lives of ordinary folks. I'm your host, Mary Guidis. Whether you're a longtime poetry lover like I am, or just barely interested, I invite you to take this poem. I hope it amends the soil of your life. Hello, faithful listeners. Where I am today is very good for recording psychologically. I'm in a building that's closed for the 4th of July. I had to get through three locked doors to get to this place where I'm all hunkered down to record. So that's a cozy feeling. I feel like the babe in the womb of an empty building. Love that feeling. However, sound-wise, it's not as great. I think it's a little echoey. I can hear a loud bird. I think I hear a lawnmower in the distance. So I hope you can get your volume adjusted to have this still be a pleasant listening experience in spite of the reduced quality sound. Thanks for your patience. I want to read three Charles Wright poems for you today. If you haven't listened to the last episode, episode 68, I believe, which was already almost a month ago that I released that, you might want to listen to that one first. In that episode, I focus on one Charles Wright poem at great length in an attempt to explain what I find so enthralling about his poetry. And the things that I highlighted in that poem are true of the ones that I'll be reading to you today. So if you've had that little bit of background, it would probably help today be more edifying. And you can be listening for those dichotomies of darkness and light, detachment and attachment, joy and despair, poetic and folksy, all those things that I drew out last time, as well as a little tentacles going out to other poets and artists and works of literature that tend to be found in his poems. So we'll be paying attention, looking out for those. I think I'll start with one that is very explicit about the battle within the poet's heart between attachment and detachment. I'm going to read these twice. I was going to ask you to listen to them twice, but then I decided I would just do the work and read them twice and hope that the second reading offers a blossoming of understanding in your mind. This one's called Shinwazari 2 by Charles Wright. I have tried to devote myself to simplicity but it isn't that easy. I trust myself to nothing, not even the star-sprung night sky. I wish I were able to live in the constant and wait out the end, content to live in the come and go of things. But it's hard, boys, it is hard, a regret and a non-regret. Li Po was able to detach self from himself, they say, and lower and blend his self into the 10,000 things. 
Would that detachment were mine, Lord, oh, would it were mine. The summer tumbles me into its shadowy depths. It's dusk again, enveloping dusk. No lights to light my way, not here nor there, where I could forget myself. It's pretty easy to see, right? There is a desire for simplicity, a desire to live in the constant, a desire to be blended and free from your troubled and tumultuous self for a while. But in the come and go of things, it's hard, boys. It's real hard. Li Po is a medieval Chinese poet, either from the 7th or 8th century, I can't remember. And chinoiserie, the title, refers to art that's imitating a Chinese style, as he is in this series of poems. Does this struggle resonate with you? I think, I imagine there are people for whom detachment is easier, perhaps especially if that was part of a millennia-long culture and tradition that you were part of. And I definitely think a full-blown life of attachment, I know folks can go that way. I see that temptation probably more clearly in my own culture to be swept up in things and feelings and self and to unquestioningly be swept along by that, by the material and a life not paying attention to what might be immaterial. I think it can be as simple as at night when all the children are in bed thinking, tomorrow I'm going to live in the moment. I'm going to be patient. And then as soon as the morning starts, it's hard, boys. It's real hard. I hear echoes of Hopkins here, especially with the star-sprung night sky. Hopkins' famous rhythm is called sprung rhythm, and star-sprung just reminds me of him. Those four one-syllable words in a row. I wouldn't be surprised if Wright had that in mind when he wrote this. I'm going to read this again. I wish I could know which line stands out to you the most. Chinoiserie 2 by Charles Wright. I have tried to devote myself to simplicity, but it isn't that easy. I trust myself to nothing, not even the star-sprung night sky. I wish I were able to live in the constant and wait out the end content to live in the come and go of things. But it's hard, boys, it is hard. A regret and a non-regret. Li Po was able to detach self from himself, they say, and lower and blend his self into the 10,000 things. Would that detachment were mine, Lord, oh, would it were mine. The summer tumbles me, into its shadowy depths. 
It's dusk again, enveloping dusk. No lights to light my way, not here nor there where I could forget myself. That dark and light there at the end leads me into this next poem that I wanted to read today. Heaven's Eel. Okay, I love this one. <laughs> um, Heaven's Eel, folks. Okay, that's what this is called. I'll read it. A slight wrinkle on the pond. Small wind. A small wind and the rumpled clouds reflection. Ho hum, what's needed here is something under the pond's skin. Something we can't see that controls all the things that we do see. Something long and slithery. Something we can't begin to comprehend. A future we're all engendered for. Sharp teeth, Lord, such sharp teeth. Heaven's eel. Heaven's eel, long and slick. Full moon gone with nothing in its place. A doe is nibbling away at the long stalks of the natural world across the creek. It's good to be here. It's good to be where the world's quiescent and reminiscent. No wind blows from the far sky. Beware of prosperity, friend, and seek affection. The eel's world is not your world, but will be soon enough. Wow. There's some lines in here that really get to me. Heaven's eel long and slick. That's one that gets stuck in my head and I just feel like hollering it out at inopportune moments. Okay. It is hard to tell if this is a dark poem or funny poem to me. And I think part, I was on my walk over here, I was thinking part of it is that darkness and despair or sin or badness can get lumped together very easily in um, art metaphor for obvious reasons. So if this poem were to ultimately be a dark poem, I tend to think, oh, maybe it's hopeless. Maybe it's talking about hell. But I think darkness also is just a reality, physical and human reality. The actual night is part of life on this earth. Night is no more evil than the day. It's just the light is gone for a while and a darkness or a limitation in our own minds an inability to know something, that sort of dim darkness, is also part of being human. It isn't condemnation or 
wickedness per se. So I was wondering if even when a poem is ultimately dark, I think part of what I love is I don't sense that darkness as being hopelessness. I sense it as just depicting a reality. In this case, that we do not know. There is so much we do not know. And he says that under the pond skin, there's something we can't see that controls all the things we do see. He says that's what we need. Something we can't begin to comprehend. What's in our future? It might have sharp teeth. It might be different than what we expect. And that's the darkness I think it's talking about is the glass darkly that the Bible speaks of that we can't quite see. I personally have a very firm story in my mind of what the future holds. I'll look for this verse on my phone really quickly. Sorry, this is not one of those written out ahead of time episodes. This is one of those on the fly. So here, here are some verses in Job chapter 19 that I love. These also, I feel like hollering aloud sometimes and do if I'm alone enough. Okay, Job 19, starting in verse 25. This might sound familiar from Handel's Messiah. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. I say that confidently. I have to. That's what I believe. At the same time, when I read this poem, Heaven's Eel, I think it can also be true. The fact is there is so much about death or what lies beyond beneath the surface of the pond or behind the veil I have no idea about. And if anything, it's good for me to be reminded of that because a simple story can sometimes lull us into a little bit of um, apathy a little bit of sleepiness. So this poem starts out based in nature. There's a little wind, there's a pond, there's some clouds. And he breaks in with ho-hum. That natural world, what we can see, we need something else. We need something under the pond skin. Something metaphysical something mystical and it does have an edge it does have sharp teeth it does have a full moon disappearing and nothing in its place it's so interesting even just as i'm reading this i'm noticing his huge emphasis through these poems on the absence no moon tonight no wind in one poem he says no angel and when these things are gone, when there's no angel and there's no light and there's no wind and there's no moon, it seems like that's when these poems begin. Those are the moments of inspiration for him. Or the starting place, maybe, of contemplation that couldn't happen if there were moons and angels and light and 
all of that around. These dark places and dark times engender a certain kind of true truth-facing that's good for us people. It's good to be here. I love that line in this poem too. And I feel that as I'm reading through, I can say that it's good to be here in this poem. I think he's saying it's good to be here in the physical world, back with the real deer eating the real grass. It's good to not be in the lake with that eel quite yet, to have a little more time. The line, beware of prosperity, friend, and seek affection, not my favorite. I would love to know how you feel about it if you like it, what it adds to the poem for you. Now, I will defer to Charles Wright. I think he's a brilliant poet in these later years, and he can say whatever he wants, and I will gladly listen. But that line doesn't settle in as firmly as the rest for me, or as perfectly. It distracts me. It feels like a weak spot. But maybe if I think about it for a year, I'll change my mind. Maybe you could change my mind. Let me know what you think. I'm going to read this one again because I have one more after this. And I don't want to keep you all day. You have a life to lead, things to do. Heaven's Eel by Charles Wright. A slight wrinkle on the pond. Small wind. A small wind and the rumpled clouds reflection. Ho-hum. What's needed is something under the pond's skin. Something we can't see that controls all the things that we do see. Something long and slithery. Something we can't begin to comprehend. A future we're all engendered for. Sharp teeth, Lord, such sharp teeth. Heaven's eel. Heaven's eel, long and slick. Full moon gone with nothing in its place. A doe is nibbling away at the long stalks of the natural world across the creek. It's good to be here. It's good to be where the world's quiescent and reminiscent. No wind blows from the far sky. Beware of prosperity, friend, and seek affection. The eel's world is not your world but will be soon enough. The last one I'll read today, I'm not as familiar with. I like it. I just read it today when I started prepping a little bit for this episode. There was another one I was going to read, but I don't think I could get through it without crying. It's probably my favorite one. And maybe someday I'll make an episode about it but it has made me burst into tears many times and I don't want to do that in front of you guys. That would be embarrassing. I have to pretend I don't have strong emotions. I'm just a calm, collected poem reader. So I chose a safer one instead. It's called Lifelines. <laughs> Moon, soft, full, just over the tips of the white pine trees. Hanshan could have characterized this, but I can't seem to. My brush is too short to find the right rocks and the bark for eternity. 
The past is closing fast and is just about in front of us. I like the wind at its back. I like the way its butt twitches and its shoulders shrug. It thinks I don't know where it's going, but I do, Jack, I swear I do. The beautiful evenings of early summer, blue sky at its end and green of the arbor vitae, green of the lime trees. Such a wide membrane holding eternity back, stretched tight, holding it back. Okay, this one's a new friend of mine. What struck me was the membrane at the end, which reminded me so much of the surface of the pond in the poem before. That invisible barrier between the temporal and the eternal. And again, the shout out to ancient Chinese poetry. He says, Han Shan could have characterized this scene, but I can't seem to. I like that deference to the medieval, to what's already been done masterfully. And I think any artist can relate to that feeling, thinking, oh, such and such master, they could have done this, but I can't capture the color. And I like his brush, the talk about the brush. Speaking of poetry as painting. And again, ironically, where he's falling short, where he says there is an absence of something, an absence of his ability, that's what the poem's about. <laughs> that zero, that nothing is what lets what's happening in the poem happen. And then, of course, he is sketching and painting this out for us, even though he says he's not able to capture it. You're getting familiar by now, of course, with his funny little colloquial, I do, Jack, I swear I do. It's hard, boys. It's real hard little thing, which makes me feel like I'm sitting at a grandpa's knee as he tells some stories or maybe overhearing two old men talking. I love that. I'm going to read it one more time more slowly, partly so that you can really soak in the beauty of the landscape that he does manage to paint in this poem. It's very beautiful. Listen carefully, and I will be finishing the episode with this. I hope that this has maybe inspired you to order Charles Wright's most recent book, Caribou, and take a look for yourself. And it would make my day if you'd record one on your own and send it to me. I would love to hear which one is your favorite. Or even if there's one that bugs you or that you don't understand, I'd love to hear any of it. So I'll finish with Lifelines by Charles Wright. Moon, soft full, just over the tips of the white pine trees. Hanshan could have charactered this but I can't seem to. My brush is too short to find the right rocks and bark for eternity. The past is closing fast and is just about in front of us. I like the wind at its back. I like the way its butt twitches and its shoulders shrug. It thinks I don't know where it's going, but I do, Jack. 
I swear I do. The beautiful evenings of early summer, blue sky at its end, and green of the arbor vitae, green of the lime trees. Such a wide membrane holding eternity back, stretched tight, holding it back. Part of my vision for this podcast was to have it be interactive. I pictured a virtual bonfire poetry reading where friends, family, local poets, and you can come together to warm our hands on some poetry. If there's a poem that has done some action in your everyday life, surprised you, delighted you, or maybe just more quietly worked its way into your bones, you know I would love to hear about it. Email me at takethispoempodcast at gmail.com and let me know your story. Maybe you can join me in sharing it with others as well.